Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Fantasy Law Guy podcast. I'm Nick Garisco at Fantasy Law Guy. Welcome to April, aka Mock Draft Month. I keep dropping the ball! Oh, I keep dropping the ball! He did what? Playoffs? to one of several podcast episodes I'll be recording about the NFL Draft this April, mocking the NFL Draft that is predicting what teams will draft which players in round one. This is right up there with my newborn daughter and my wife on things that I love most in this life. And this year, the draft takes place on April 28th, aka Christmas night for me, and that is 24 days away as of this recording. And I can only hopelicate then to replicate last year's success because my 2021 mock draft was a huge hit. I correctly predicted uh, the team player match for 13 picks uh, plus one properly slotted pick, which is the right pick, wrong team. And in, in to- it doesn't sound like a lot, but 13, 14 picks out of 32 is very, very, very accurate, very strong. And, and good enough to where my mock draft actually graded out as the second most accurate mock draft in the world per NFLMockDraftDatabase.com. Uh, this was out of 1,300 um, expert mock drafts that they graded. And, and additionally, my mock draft correctly identified the drafted player on that team's shortlist for a whopping 28 out of 32 picks, which is something I was personally really, really proud of of my cell phone. That means only four picks were considered like totally unexpected or surprising. If you read my mock draft last year and you followed it on fantasylawguide.com, my 2022 mock draft is up for viewing pleasure right now. And we will be filling out the explanations and the best guesses and some of the segments as we go along. And, And while my 2021 mock draft did not really compare to Josh Norris's unbelievable mock draft. And Norris actually, he ranked number one. He had the most accurate mock draft ever recorded with it, with a breathtaking 16 correct picks. That's half the draft. Um, so it didn't compare to that. But this is my third straight year that my mock draft finished in the top 10 among all experts in terms of accuracy. Uh, my 2020 NFL Mock Draft, it was the sixth most accurate among 493 graded by NFLMockDraftDatabase.com. And three years ago, my 2019 NFL Mock Draft was graded as that database's most accurate draft out of 451 qualifiers. So, you know, NFL Mock Draft Database is just one of a number of cool sites that are kind of recently being developed and kind of devoted to compiling mock drafts and scoring them based on accuracy. And they all have different algorithms, different grading systems. But as a note to my new listeners, if I have any, to expand upon my usual six, um, my entire seven-year mock draft history, actually, I think it's eight years now, and links to all my previous mocks, that is all on a nifty 
spreadsheet where I, and I'm also comparing my results to other experts in the industry like Mel Kuyper, Todd McShay, the big names. And that's all on one Excel sheet. That's on fantasylawguy.com. I think it's called NFL Mock Draft Expert Accuracy Scores. Fantasylawguy.com is also where you can find my 2022 mock draft, which I mentioned. I'll be updating that pretty much daily until draft day uh, to keep all readers just apprised with the most available um, information that I'm hearing, that I'm reading. And and y'all, I'm not exaggerating when I say that for the last seven or eight years, I've spent every available second in March and April kind of digging in the weeds in order to perfect my mock draft each year. I live, I breathe this stuff is what I'm best at. And honestly, I hate, I really hate being that guy who sounds like, you know, he's stroking his own ego. Uh, But sincerely, genuinely, you know, I I do think that the results speak for themselves. Uh, So I'm really glad that you're here tuning in. I hope that you stay. One primary objective for this exercise is to kind of minimize the surprises on draft night, like I mentioned earlier. And that's why I do the short list um, of, you know, if it's not this pick, then maybe it's one of these picks. I do that for readers and listeners. That way, you know, the fewer times you say you say something like, wow, I did not see that coming, like the Saints pick of Peyton Turner last year. Uh, the, the fewer times you say that after reading my mock, listening to this podcast, the better job I feel I did, even if I don't get 13 picks correct, or even if I don't get eight picks correct this year. Um, and, and this year, there's also another incentive to stay for the ride and listen, and that is the introduction of Lee sports betting here in the state of Louisiana. And that's kind of an additional goal that I have for the local audience. And that's for us to make some money this year, identifying the best bets for the NFL draft. And I'll definitely do some shows devoted to this. And and I'll definitely do some shows devoted to this. And you don't actually have to get the picks correct to make this money. Uh, But you do have to be knowledgeable about which teams are interested in which players so as to kind of understand a player's range of outcomes. So you can bet those prop bets, the over-under bets. And we'll discuss all of this and much more at a bet from a betting angle in future episodes. The, the draft is annually a very nice profit maker for me personally. And although the websites, uh, the sports books are getting a lot sharper, I, I don't expect this year to really be any different there. I, I don't pretend like, you know, I could be profitable against Vegas by, you know, betting NFL spreads or teams to win the Super Bowl or whatever. I think that they'd crush me over time. But the draft is kind of a, still a niche event where there's still kind of an edge to be had. And I'm hoping that I can provide y'all that edge. Um, but today, I'm just going to be introducing y'all to my mocking pro- process. I'll tell y'all, you know, what you need to know about this, this year's draft class. And we're going to discuss quarterback landing spots and kind of analyzing my projections for the top 10 as they sit right now, uh, because the top 10 and quarterback landing spots are arguably the two most essential components to an accurate mock draft, in my opinion. But let's get one thing straight before we begin. The objective here is to predict what will happen in the NFL draft in round one. That is predicting what teams will do, not what they should do. That's a very important distinction here. I am not a scout. I don't really even watch college football. And that might sound crazy, but I I don't make my own evaluations or opinion of these players. And even if I had my own opinions, they would just be completely irrelevant. So in an effort of total transparency, I have not watched a single game of most, the vast majority of these prospects. I have not seen them play. I hadn't heard of a lot of these guys until about a month ago. 
And if that kind of turns you off, if that's if you're looking for more player analysis, how a, a, a player's skill set would translate to the NFL, or you're looking for college football takes, then you can find another podcast, honestly. It's quiet. Too quiet. Uh, but I, I can assure you that for the exercise of mocking the NFL draft, it, none of that stuff matters at all. Be careful. It's a trap. I'm in the business of predicting what will happen in the NFL draft, what teams will do, not what they should do. And the reason I say all this is because one of the things I get asked the most is, what do you think about player X? And it'll be like some fifth round wide receiver prospect that I've never heard of. And I always have to admit, look, I'm not Mel Kuyper. I'm not Todd McShay, Daniel Jeremiah, Dane Brugler, Mike Mayock. You know, they study all this stuff. I realize that you may associate the NFL draft with college football and assume that there's you know, a level of knowledge that is required there to make the mocks that I do, but I honestly cannot answer that. They, those experts can. What I can tell you is whether teams view him as a first-round pick, and if they don't, then really the conversation is over because I've never heard of the guy. I wish I could help with that kind of stuff. But I know my weaknesses, which is I'm not a scout, I'm not a player evalu- evaluator, and you know I'm not a college football junkie by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, but I also know my strengths, which is kind of predicting what will happen in round one. Actually, not kind of, just very simply, that is the task. The second question I get asked most by people that I know is, okay, well, if you don't really follow college football, then how do you make these mock drafts? What, what are you focusing on? How do you do it? And I think that is a great question. And that's kind of what I wanted these April podcast episodes to be about, kind of walking you through that process of of how I mock the NFL draft. Mocking the NFL draft starts with evaluating team needs. And this is huge, in my opinion. It's really the foundation of a successful mock draft. And, And it's far more detailed than you know, oh, you know, this the Texans, they couldn't run the ball last year, so they need a running back. No, it's not really like that. It's about looking at each roster, top to bottom, figuring out where they stand now. Like who do they lose in free agency? Teams lose tons of players in free agency every year. And then it's kind of going through their salary cap situation. And, you know, who is one year left on their deal? May not be a part of that team's future. For example, the Washington Commanders, new name. They have Terry McLaurin at wide receiver. total stud. But if he only has one year left on his contract and Washington can't afford to re-sign him next year, or they don't know if they want to afford to sign him next year, then McLaren's presence on the roster should not really preclude them from drafting a wide receiver, from saying wide receiver is a big team need for the Washington commanders at pick 11. So it's not necessarily about what each team needs now. It's about looking one to two years into the future and the direction of the team. Maybe, you know, a lot of teams have new directions. They hired a new head coach, new offensive coordinator, new defensive coordinator. They're implementing a new scheme that requires certain prototypes of players. The Vikings, for instance, are switching from a 4-3 base defense that they've run under Mike Zimmer for you know nearly a decade to a 3-4 base defense. And that requires different types of defenders in the front seven. Another aspect of looking at is what is the status of the team? Are they rebuilding like the Lions or the Texans or the Falcons? Where did those teams struggle at most last season? Did they struggle to pressure the quarterback? Did they have injuries at a certain position? 
Were they playing with a bunch of third and fourth string corners because all their starters got hurt like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers last season? Offensive line, that's a big one. How many offensive line combinations did each team have to run because of injuries to starters? The Saints, for example, ranked 29th in possible starts. They're starting five offensive linemen. They only made 50 of a possible 85 possible starts. Did a certain area get exposed in an important game? Like think about the Bengals and their pass coverage and their pass protection in the Super Bowl against the Rams. So these are just a number of factors that go into what positions each team needs. And I've listed those team needs in my mock draft on fantasyloggod.com. Not every team even drafts, you know, what I would consider a team need or what I list as a team need. Most do. Most do. But some teams truly go BPA, if they best player available. But most BPAs even tend to correlate with team need, like not coincidentally, right? Like in other words, teams place a priority when coming up with their draft board on players who fit positions of need either this year or next year, depending on their timeline. Like the Buffalo Bills, for example, Super Bowl favorites, they might draft a player that fits a need right now, maybe like a running back, for example. Whereas the Atlanta Falcons may draft what they feel is a team need in in a year or two because they're not really trying to compete for a Super Bowl next season. And then there's the whole debate about premium positions, offensive line, pass rushers, cornerbacks. Three or five players each week are getting significant snaps at each of those positions. So every team in the NFL really could benefit by an extra offensive lineman or an extra pass rusher or a cornerback. But after I figured out what the what I think are the best, most important team needs for each team, you can you know you can start applying it to the draft class and matching the specific prospects with each team based on those needs. And where I like to start there is quarterbacks, and I like to assess the quarterback situation. Who are the first round quarterbacks, and who are the first the teams drafting in the first round that need those quarterbacks, and why is that important? Because it's kind of the low-hanging fruit of mocking the draft. I often refer to putting a mock draft together as kind of building a puzzle. You don't just, when you build a puzzle, you don't just take the first piece you find on the table and fit it with the second piece that you pick up. No, there's a lot of strategy here. And one of the biggest mistakes mock drafters make, in my opinion, is starting from one and working down to 32 and basing each subsequent pick on who is available in their own mock. And I think that's a terrible process. Because the draft is unpredictable and you're not really going for 32 out of 32 picks anyway. I mean, it's, that's ideal, but it's, it's, it's not realistic. No one can get a perfect mock. It would be like getting every pick right in the NCAA tournament. Maybe not that mathematically improbable, but, but anyone who has ever built a puzzle knows that you kind of start with the edges first, right? You flip the pieces over and you put the edge, put the edge pieces together. You make the frame of the puzzle first. And quarterbacks... Are, in my opinion, are kind of those edges, the frame of the mock draft. Because so many teams need so many positions, like I just mentioned, but you really can't mistake it when a team needs a quarterback. It's obvious. So you kind of have to identify, or it's very helpful at least to identify which teams need a quarterback and are likely to want one in round one, in the first round. Because only a certain number of teams do, and there's only a certain number of quarterbacks in each draft class that are honestly good enough to be picked in round one. So let's kind of go, let's kind of start really the mocking process with that right here. And you'll notice that the first team that arguably could use a quarterback, because the Jaguars are picking first and they have Trevor Lawrence, so they don't need a quarterback. The Detroit Lions at pick two. 
The Lions could use an upgrade over Jared Goff, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to take one at pick two, especially if there's not good, not a good enough quarterback to take at pick two. Houston has pick three. They also have pick 13, but I've heard they kind of just want to see what they have in last year's third round pick Davis Mills, who came on a little bit at the end of the season, similar to Jared Goff, despite a terrible supporting cast. And the Texans also feel, maybe the Lions do too, that they're not just one quarterback away. They can't just draft a quarterback now and then just start competing for the playoffs immediately. So their stance kind of is, we have a lot more to address. We have a lot more to upgrade before we feel comfortable throwing a rookie franchise quarterback into the situation. So let's, let's clean the team up. Let's continue the rebuilding, aka losing process this year and try our luck with next year's quarterback class, which is by all accounts supposed to be a lot better than what this year has to offer. The Giants, they have picks five and seven, and it looks like they're also giving one more year to Daniel Jones. And you're kind of seeing a trend here, and that is because this quarterback class, which we'll get to in a second, is not very good. At least I think we're going to see a lot of these quote-unquote quarterback needy teams pass on quarterbacks early in the draft because there's just not a great enough prospect to take in the top five of this draft class. Now, it doesn't mean it won't happen, but it does seem unlikely. But let's talk about Carolina at six because this is, this is probably the most likely quarterback possibility that we've discussed so far because they just cannot go into the season with Sam Darnold. You know, Atlanta at pick eight, that's another one. They, they just signed Marcus Mariota. But I think that Atlanta is definitely in play for a quarterback as we'll get to when we discuss the, the top 10 when we kind of go through that. Uh, Seattle at pick nine, that's another one. They just traded Russ Wilson. I'm not really buying that they believe Drew Locke is their future quarterback. So you're kind of seeing, you know, Seattle at pick nine, Carolina pick six, Atlanta pick eight. So that's six to nine range, pretty kind of favorable for teams that might need a quarterback. The Washington Commanders, they just traded for Carson Wentz. They're at pick 11. Maybe are the Eagles, they have three picks in the first round, pick 15, 16, 19. Are they really sold on Jalen Hurts? Especially when they have that much draft capital, maybe to move around in the draft and get their, their quarterback one of this year's draft class. I'm not really sure. The Saints at pick 18, that's absolutely a quarterback possibility. I would not let Andy Dalton, the recent signing, or the also the signing of James Winston, I would not let that deter you from believing the Saints could take a quarterback at 18. I definitely think that's in play. Whether the top three quarterbacks in the class will be there, I don't know. We'll see. We'll talk about that more. The Steelers at pick 20, that's that's for sure. I definitely think they're in the quarterback market. But again, they might have to trade up from pick 20 to get the quarterback that they want or that they feel most comfortable with after long evaluations. So that's kind of about it, in my opinion, because you notice teams 21 through 32, they're kind of set at quarterback. So we're really looking at you know, kind of building the edge of that puzzle. We're really looking at, you know, which team needs a quarterback and is going to put that above, potentially above other needs on their team. Carolina at six, Atlanta at pick eight, Seattle at pick nine, New Orleans at pick 18, Pittsburgh at pick 20. There are a couple other wild cards there, maybe Philadelphia in the in the mid-teens, maybe Washington Commanders to surprise at pick 11. But the purpose here is we're going to take those teams and kind of try to match that with the top available quarterbacks in the class. Now, this year, that happens to be a terrible quarterback class. There's five guys that could go in round one, optimally. Uh, Malik Willis, kind of a dual threat quarterback out of Liberty. Kenny Pickett, probably the most 
ready to start now. He's out of pit, but he definitely comes with his own warts. Matt Corral out of Ole Miss, Desmond Ritter out of Cincinnati, and Sam Howell out of UNC. So there's five guys that conceivably could go in round one, but again, there's real no consensus at whether that happens, and there's really no consensus at the top quarterback in this draft class. Teams will have vastly different grades on these guys. Some will have fourth round grades on some of these picks. They really will. They'll see them as career backups where you'll have one team that has like a fourth round grade on a guy like Kenny Pickett and other teams will have him as the top quarterback available in this weak draft class and have a first round grade on them. The Panthers might take him at six overall, which we'll talk about in a second. But, you know, it's very possible that we don't even see a quarterback in the top 10. It's certainly possible we don't see one in the top five. I think it's arguably likely we don't see one in the top five. And that's atypical. That is not typical for most draft classes, uh, especially two, only two or three quarterbacks in round one altogether. So this is historically a pretty rough year for quarterbacks, but regardless of how weak the draft class is, teams will nevertheless reach for some quarterbacks in round one. They just will. It's the most important positions in all of sports. And which teams plan to do so, I think will become more clear as the draft process unfolds. But as of now, I think Malik Willis, Kenny Pickett, and Desmond Ritter will hear their names called on Thursday night. And I'll tell you where the first two, at least, may end up momentarily. But the quarterbacks, you know, they kind of give us this outline or the edges of the puzzle, if you will, that we can kind of work around. And it makes sense because the league is driven by quarterbacks. So it makes sense that your mock is at least started by quarterbacks as well. So connecting the right quarterbacks to the correct quarterback needy teams is one of the easiest ways, in my opinion, to hit on picks in your mock draft and to score points in these accuracy contests. It's also just so important because oftentimes hitting on your quarterbacks usually coincides with the other essential necessity for an accurate mock draft, which I think is nailing your top 10. And you don't have to go 10 for 10. Nobody's really doing that. But it is extremely critical that you hit on a lot of your top 10 in your mock draft because that's where most of the points for lack of better words, that's where most of the points in these accuracy scoring contests, that's where they come from. That's where most of your correct picks come from. And that's where your competitors, other experts for me, that's where they're getting most of their correct picks. Because as the draft progresses, more crazy, unpredictable things happen, right? It's harder to predict picks in the teens and the 20s and the 30s than it is to predict the top 10. Because generally speaking, the top 10 players It's more of a consensus on what teams agree on. And as the draft progresses, more crazy things happen, generally speaking. It gets exponentially more difficult. So again, I really cannot overemphasize the significance of hitting on your top 10 and matching quarterbacks, whether it's in the top 10 or afterward. And it might be afterwards in this year's crappy quarterback class. The Jacksonville Jaguars are on the clock, and they have the first pick for the second year in a row. And last year, they picked quarterback Trevor Lawrence out of Clemson, so they have secured their franchise quarterback, which is kind of rare for a team picking number one overall because usually that means they just sucked. And usually when teams suck, it means they didn't have a quarterback. But the Jaguars did obviously a terrible job, head coach included, surrounding Trevor Lawrence with talent. So they spent the offseason kind of getting him some weapons, spending the big bucks on you know, arguably some mediocre wide receivers, Christian Kirk, Zay Jones, tight end Evan Ingram. They hired an offensive coach in Doug Peterson. They have they also have James Robinson and Travis Etienne at running back. So the skill positions actually are kind of set in Jacksonville, believe it or not. So we kind of look to 
offensive line and we look to defensive line. And Trent Baalke and Doug Peterson, they kind of both, you know, that's the GM and the, and the head coach, not respectively, but they kind of both have a history of drafting in the trenches. And both are huge areas of need for the Jaguars. Offensive line, left guard Andrew Norwell and right guard AJ Can, they were free agents. The team did land right guard Brandon Sheriff. And that was a big get in free agency, but there's still a hole at left guard. And now there's a hole at center because Brandon Linder just retired. And to make matters worse, right tackle, Jawan Taylor, he's a free agent in 2023. And and left tackle, Cam Robinson, who's just franchised, also a free agent in 2023. A one-year deal on the franchise tag. So protecting this Jaguars offensive line, other than Sheriff, really has no future building blocks on their offensive line. Protecting your investment in Trevor Lawrence is extremely critical. I don't need to really say that. But an offensive tackle, at least for year one, because they have Jawan Taylor and Cam Robinson, at least for the next year, if, if the Jaguars draft an offensive tackle with pick one overall, that player might actually have to kick inside to guard because they have two solid tackles, at least for this year. Now, that's just an interesting wrinkle. I don't think it should prevent the Jaguars from considering an offensive tackle because, again, the Jaguars, you know, this is about building for the future, right? So if they think they're going to lose Jawan Taylor, right tackle in free agency next offseason, or they think they're going to lose Cam Robinson, left tackle next offseason, which, you know, they could lose both. But if they think either one's going to happen, then yeah, maybe an offensive lineman is worth the pick, even if that offensive lineman or Jawan Taylor has to kick it inside to guard in year one. But in any respect, the offensive line, huge need for the Jacksonville Jaguars, and so is the defensive line. Defensive end Josh Allen, obviously a stud, and even his running mate Dwayne Smoot, he is also very good, although he has one year left on his contract. They drafted Chase on out of LSU in round one two years ago, but he hasn't really panned out. And the team also just signed Arden Key. But upgrading the defensive line, upgrading the pass rush is definitely a massive need for the Jacksonville Jaguars. I think that linebacker and safety are also needs here too. Uh, really, the only position on this defense that seems decent is cornerback. But we're focusing on the trenches here, the offensive and defensive line, because that also kind of meshes, not only are they the biggest needs on the team, but it also kind of meshes the top available prospects. And this is a really strong pass rush class, unlike last year. You have Aiden Hutchinson out of Michigan. You have Trevon Walker out of UGA. You have Kayvon Thibodeau out of Oregon. Jermaine Johnson out of FSU. All of those pass rushers could conceivably go in the top 10, and if not, the top 12. And three or four more pass rushers actually might go between picks 12 and 32. I mean, it's that good of a pass rushing, a defensive line class here. So certainly the Jaguars will be looking at the Aiden Hutchinsons, the Trevon Walkers of the world, probably for this top pick. And by the way, offensive tackle, very top heavy in this draft class. There could also be four offensive tackles in the top 10 as well. Akeem Iguanu out of NC State. Evan Neal out of Alabama, Charles Cross out of Mississippi State, and Trevor Penning out of Northern Iowa. You're going to hear their names in the first half of the first round, uh, almost certainly. So again, we could easily get four offensive tackles in the top 10. We could also easily get four pass rushers in the top 10. I think And Aiden Hutchinson out of Michigan, he is the heavy favorite to go pick one to Jacksonville. He was once offensive tackle Evan Neal. But it seems like the market is kind of, ever since the Jaguars uh, franchised left tackle Cam Robinson, it seems like the market's kind of maybe faded on the idea of the Jaguars taking offensive tackle at pick one overall. There's really the question of whether it's going to be Neal or Aquanu is the best tackle in 
offensive tackle in the class. But UGA's Trevon Walker, pass rusher, he's also kind of making a little bit of a, a push into the top five, certainly into the top three, I should say. And he has the second best odds per Vegas right now for the Jaguars pick. But ultimately, you know, while I still think Hutchinson is the favorite to be the pick, I think that the Jaguars are doing extensive homework on four prospects, I should say. Aiden Hutchinson, pass rusher out of Michigan. Trevon Walker, pass rusher out of UGA. And then the top two tackles of the class, Akeem Ikwanu uh, out of NC State and Evan Neal out of Alabama. So I think it really comes down to those four players. But right now, I think Aiden Hutchinson is the pick. The Detroit Lions, they have picks 2 and 32. And I mentioned that Dan Campbell, head coach and general manager Brad Holmes, they probably believe that this team kind of needs more support, particularly defensively, before maybe drafting a quarterback. I I tend to disagree. Not that they don't need help defensively. Of course they do. But I, I do feel like the Lions are actually kind of set, at least offensively, to take a quarterback at pick two if they feel one is worthy of that selection. Because they're set along the offensive line. They have two quality tackles. And they also have a quality running back, DeAndre Swift. They have good receivers. They have a good tight end, TJ Hawkinson. So I think that they may feel more comfortable drafting a rookie than maybe the media knows. Uh, But Jared Goff is there. And I think Goff is a perfect stopgap quarterback if they want, you know, a raw rookie to learn from a veteran while getting competent quarterback play for the next year. Like maybe if they want one of these rookies like a raw look rookie like Malik Willis, if they want to have him redshirt for a year, essentially. And I bring Willis's name up because at the Senior Bowl, the Lions reportedly really liked Malik Willis. The Lions, Dan Campbell, he was the coach or one of the coaches of the Senior Bowl. And so their staff was there, including Lions quarterback coach Mark Brunel, former NFL quarterback, and kind of coding things the best he could. He implied, at least, that he could turn Willis into a pro bowler within three seasons. So he really likes Willis a lot. You know, what kind of say does the quarterback coach have? You know, not much. But the Lions, you know, they were part of a number of teams that met with Willis at the Combine. But last week you have Lions general manager Brad Holmes saying of the quarterback position, you know, we have a starter that we feel can be really productive for us. You know, golf is our quarterback. We're Got to make sure he's put in the best position to succeed, blah, blah, blah. You know, is it a smokescreen so that nobody pays a king's ransom to Jacksonville to move ahead of Detroit and take maybe Malik Willis? You know, I'm not sure. I'm personally rooting for Willis to be the pick because I think it's fun, although early, because he's probably not worth pick two overall. But recent indications are that they seem to really not be rushing the quarterback situations and don't reach for a player that you don't love. Quarterbacks, in my opinion, are probably worth it. You have to reach a little bit because other teams will if you don't. Maybe they'll surprise us with Malik Willis, but right now I can think it's kind of a dark horse pick. He was the betting favorite two weeks ago for what it's worth, but now it's Trevon Walker by a long shot and, well, at least over Willis. And from a team need standpoint, Walker makes sense. You know, pretty much every spot on the defense, on this defense, can be improved. So I'm not even going to get into breaking down, you know, safety, cornerback, linebacker, defensive end, defensive tackle. Anyone they pick on defense would help the Lions defense. Defense as a whole is a team need for the Detroit Lions. But the Lions, like I mentioned, they're set at offensive tackle. Taylor Decker, left tackle. Penny Sewell at right tackle. They just drafted him at pick seven last year. Got that one right. But I think that, you know, I do think that that rules Evan Neal and Ikwanwu out of this pick. They call him Icky, by the way, and I will too. 
but I, that's his nickname. I, I'm just not calling him that for fun, but that is his nickname. And I, and I do strongly believe that Detroit, you know, they would love Aiden Hutchinson here. I think he's the perfect fit for the Lions. Maybe they give Jacksonville a late uh, pick to swap spots. Maybe Detroit wants to go to one and take Aiden Hutchinson, who I think they have number one on their board by far. And maybe Jacksonville will take Trevon Walker. I don't know. But I think that this pick, if Detroit, assuming that Jacksonville takes Aiden Hutchinson, I think that this pick right as of now is between Trevon Walker or taking a real gamble on Malik Willis. And it would be a real gamble. Again, I do think he's a dark horse for this pick, but I just don't see really anyone else other than Walker or Willis making the most sense for this pick. Maybe Sauce Gardner, the cornerback, we'll talk about in a second, but I don't know. I, I just don't see it. So Walker, you know, fun fact about this, you know, he's one of, he's the first of many studs on this Georgia defense, the Georgia Bulldogs defense that are going to be drafted very high. You know, it's honestly incredible. I've never seen anything like it. There's like seven or eight guys on this defense that are going to be picked in the top 100. It's crazy. And I, I suppose that's why they won the national championship. The NFL talent on this defense is mind-blowing. But that's going to be one of the big storylines that you're going to hear about over and over again on ESPN or wherever you watch the draft or leading up to it. So let's move on. Uh, Houston Texans. And just to be clear, I have Aiden Hutchinson right now in my mock draft on Fancy Law Guy number one and Detroit Lions taking Trevon Walker, pass rusher out of UGA at number two as of now. Houston Texans, they have picked three and pick 13. And you're going to hear several teams having multiple picks. Eight teams... A whopping eight teams do not have first-round picks this year, which I've never seen anything like that before. But let's talk about the Texans, right? At quarterback, we kind of, I briefly touched on this. Is Davis Mills the guy? It seems like they want to give him a chance to be and maybe take their chances on next year's quarterback class because the Texans, you know, spoiler alert, they're going to be bad again. They're going to be picking near the top of the class next year as well. Offensive line is a big need. And Texans offensive line, you know, they made... 44 of 85 possible starts. It was last in the NFL. And that's their starters I'm talking about. Um, Right tackle Marcus Cannon, he was cut. Right guard Max Sharping and backup right guard Justin McCray, they're free agents in 2023. The team did sign AJ Can, but he only made three starts last year. He can't really be relied upon to stay healthy and very good. Right tackle is wide open if they decide to keep Titus Howard, who was drafted as a right tackle, if they decide to keep him at left guard, which he played last year because of injuries, if they decide to keep him at guard, right tackle is wide open. If not, well, then that's kind of another interesting situation like the Jaguars where the Texans do have two solid offensive tackles going for them, but maybe not for the future. So it shouldn't preclude them from taking like an Evan Neal or a, a Iki Iguanwu, but you know the two top offensive tackles in the draft class, like maybe it does for the Lions, who I think their offensive tackle situation, the difference is that the Lions' offensive tackles are kind of set for years to come. Whereas the Jags and the Texans, although you know picking one and three respectively, although they do have solid offensive tackles, better than you would think for you know terrible teams, they aren't necessarily the players of the future. Like they shouldn't prevent Evan Neal and Icky from being potential picks at one and three overall. But you do get that situation, and it is worth noting that one of their top three offensive linemen will have to kick inside to guard, at least for year one. It will probably be Titus Howard if they decide to take Neal or Icky at pick three, which currently I do have them taking Evan Neal out of Alabama at pick three. Um, I think there's connections there with 
Nick Cesario, the, the GM of the Texans uh, in the Alabama Crimson Tide. Uh, and I also think that they are going to want a trench player there. So an offensive defensive lineman, not just because those are the best players available, but that just kind of seems like how the Texans and, you know, the maybe the Lions, maybe the Jacksonville Jaguars, that that's how they want to build their team from the inside out, as they say. So on defense, you know, Houston signed Ogbania Okoronkwo. I probably butchered that name, but he's a pretty good player from the Rams. Jacob Martin, Jonathan Greenyard, pretty decent at defensive end, honestly. I actually think that linebacker and defensive tackle and corner are bigger needs, but really similar to the Lions, any defender would really be a welcome addition to this squad and would start and immediately make an impact. Right now, I think that Houston does take Trevon Walker, if available, I think that he's probably the second-rated player on their board behind Hutchinson. So if the Lions shock us and don't take Walker and he is available for the Texans' pick, I would strongly lean that they're going to take Walker there. If not, my lean here is offensive tackle, if not. Either Icky or Evan Neal. I'm not sure which one. Hopefully we get some more intel on that situation as the as, as the month progresses. I think Sauce Gardner, the top cornerback in the draft, who I'll talk about in a minute, I think that he is a dark horse for this pick. Because like I mentioned, corner is a huge need. And Gardner's one of those players who really has he's kind of one of those flawless paper prospects on paper, at least. So, and you know, great personality. Teams love the kids. So I think that Sauce Gardner, kind of a dark horse sleeper for this pick at three overall. So where I have walked, where I have Sauce Gardner going is to the New York Jets at pick four. And that's the next team we'll talk about. The Jets have picked four and pick 10. Their needs right now, offensive line. Again, a theme here. Offensive tackle. They had right tackle Morgan Mogensis. He was a serviceable stopgap right tackle for one year, but he was a free agent. Um, he hasn't really been replaced, although it's possible they'll move George Fant, the left tackle there. It's possible that Makai Becton will, you know, he only played one game last year. He's had injury problems his whole two years that he's been in the league, but he was a high draft pick. It's possible that Fant will start at right tackle and Becton will start at left tackle if healthy. But Fant is a free agent in 2023. So is their center, Connor McGovern. And one of their right guards, Greg Van Roden, are also, he's also a free agent. The team did sign Lake and Tomlinson from San Francisco, but you have a situation where, you know, the unit looks a lot better on paper than it did two years ago, but it's not, it's maybe not yet completed. And it shouldn't deter, even though on paper, the offensive tackles for the Jets are pretty good. It shouldn't deter the Jets from drafting an offensive tackle with one of their two picks in the top 10, whether it's pick four or pick 10. You know, maybe it's Akeem, Aquanwu, Evan Neal at pick four. Maybe it's Charles Charles Cross. That's hard to say fast. If he falls to, or if he slides to pick 10. Um, I think that that would really complete the offensive line overhaul. And again, they have a young quarterback in Zach Wilson who they really, really need to protect. He took a lot of hits and got banged up last year. So defense, they could, uh, you know, it's similar to the teams that I'm describing. I'm not going to use this cop out for all these teams. These are just the teams at the top of the draft where they just suck at so many positions that, you know, I could just say defense is a blanket statement. And yeah, they need every, they need every spot on defense. Uh, it should be noted that the Jets invested a bit of resources last season on defensive end, really on defensive line in general. Carl Lawson, he missed all of last season. He's coming back. And they also have a solid start as a defensive tackle. Uh, but head coach Robert Salah, he pri- prioritizes a deep defensive line rotation. So this offseason, you know, it's, it's, it's also been clear that defensive back 
has been made a priority. They signed safety Jordan Whitehead, but they lost Marcus May in free agency. They also signed cornerback DJ Reed, but there's still a big need at cornerback two and nickel corner. And ESPN's um, the Jets beat writer Rich Tamini, he recently reported that the Jets, they like safety Kyle Hamilton at Notre Dame a lot. He's kind of sliding in this draft, and I think he might be available at pick 10. We'll talk about him more uh, momentarily, but Samini's report is also, uh, it mentioned the Jets a possibility doubling down on defense in the top 10, uh, particularly, and he mentioned a certain prospect that he thinks the Jets like. If you know Kyle Hamilton was one, the safety, I think they can get him at 10, but if Kayvon Thibodeau, pass rusher out of Oregon, Trevon Walker, pass rusher at UGA. He's been taken, according to me, in my mock. And uh, and I think he'll be gone by pick four, even not in my mock. In uh, cornerback Sauce Gardner, they can be had. I think that those are kind of the options at pick four. So again, I'll repeat them because I was kind of jumbled up there. Uh, but Kayvon Thibodeau, pass rusher out of Oregon. If Trevon Walker's there, then I do think he'll be the pick for the Jets. I just don't think he's going to be there. If Sauce Gardner isn't the surprise pick by the Texans, then I think that Sauce Gardner is going to be this pick. I have him mocked there currently to the Jets. Um, I don't think he's going to make it to pick 10, the other pick. Uh, Kyle Hamilton may, the safety there. But, you know, to me, it really comes down to pick four. You're looking at the two offensive tackles, Evan Neal, Iki Aquanwu, or uh, the cornerback, Sauce Gardner. Because Sauce Gardner, and may, some, some of you LSU fans listening may be like, Sauce Gardner, he's the top corner in the class? Well, yeah. I mean, he's the cornerback one in this class because cornerback two, cornerback three, Derek Stingley and Trent McDuffie, you know, there's kind of a drop off after those corners and there may not, there may or may not be another corner taken in round one. If there are, there are in the twenties. So it will maybe kind of push the top three corners up in this class. But Derek Stingley, you know, a lot of, several teams are worried about Stingley as, as taking him as the top 10 because He's arguably the biggest risk-reward pick in the whole draft, and we'll discuss him more in detail in the next episode when we go through teams picking 11 through 32 because that is where I currently have him mocked, not in the top 10. But I do have Sauce Gardner in the top 10. I do have him at pick four. But again, we're looking at, you know, I'm going to go ahead and hit the top uh, at pick 10 here because the Jets also have pick 10. But we're looking at, you know, Kayvon Thibodeau, if he's there for pick 10, some character concerns are being reported on him that may cause him to slide a little. So if he's there at pick 10, I do think the Jets will pounce. Kyle Hamilton at safety, I think that he's an option if he does fall to pick 10, which I think he will. And if the Jets, you know, want to go with the pass rusher, they can also go with Jermaine Johnson out of FSU. He probably will be there in the top at pick 10, but it's not for sure. He may uh, I'll talk about him a little later when we get to Atlanta or Seattle. I pick eight and nine. He might go there. Uh, the linebacking play was terrible for the Jets, but I think it's just too early to draft the top linebacker in the class, which is Devin Lloyd. Wide receiver. That is another big need that we definitely need to discuss. And Corey Davis, injury plagued year one, a prize free agent um, addition for the Jets last year, but he, he kind of had a disappointing year one. For the Jets, they drafted Elijah Moore in the second round. Great pick last year, but he's kind of, they may view him as a slot receiver. So I think they might want an alpha or, or an X receiver, if you will, to complete the position group. Jamison Crowder, the slot receiver uh, for the Jets, long time there. He's, he is uh, now signed with the Bills. So receiver might be something that they want to help Zach Wilson out with. And so if it's not now offensive tackle at pick four, maybe they can grab a receiver at pick 10. And, and I, I like to look at, and this is big here, because I like to look at 
what teams try to do in free agency and fail at doing, right? Like I like to let the team's actions maybe speak to their needs. So for example, the Jets here were, they were in on Tyreek Hill. It became, it came down to the Jets and the Dolphins and then they missed out on Tyreek Hill on that Chiefs trade. And then now you're hearing rumors that the Jets are ready to strike if DK Metcalf, it, if, if the Seahawks were to make him available, which there's rumors of him kind of being dangled in trade for the rebuilding Seahawks, but the Jets also may be ready to pounce there. So what does that tell me? It tells me that the Jets are really viewing wide receiver as a big need. So it sounds like they want a true alpha receiver on this team for Zach Wilson. So if you look at if you take a look at the wide receivers in this draft class, it's a lot like 2019, in which if you recall, Henry Ruggs, Jerry Judy, C.D. Lamb kind of went in the teens, and there was no consensus number one receiver out of out of those top three. Uh, Justin Jefferson ends up being the best in the class, but he goes in the uh, I think late teens, early twenties. Jalen Rager, same with him. Uh, he ended up busting, but Brandon Ayuk went later in the round. Uh, T. Higgins went early in the second round. So it was a great receiver class. Uh, but going into the draft, there was really no consensus receiver one in that class. And, and as a result, because it was such a deep class, we saw a bunch of receivers kind of slide to the teens. So I think that's what's going to happen here. The Jets will probably be the first team, if they take a receiver, they'll probably be the first team to do so. And the top receivers available are, you know, Drake London out of USC. There's two Ohio State guys, Garrett Wilson and Chris Owlave, Jamison Williams out of Alabama, Trayvon Burks out of Arkansas, Christian Watson, North Dakota State, Jahan Doxton out of Penn State. And just FYI, just if you're interested in the skill positions or your fantasy football player, there may be one running back going in round one. That's Brees Hall out of Iowa State, maybe later in the round, and there's no tight ends. But anyway, I, as of now in my mock, I have the Jets taking Sauce Gardner cornerback out of Cincinnati at pick four. They'll definitely consider Kayvon Thibodeau, and they'll definitely consider the two offensive tackles, I- Icky and Evan Neal. But that's I kind of view them taking Sauce Gardner at pick four. Because I think cornerback is probably the biggest need on the team. And at pick 10, I think it's going to come down to, is Kayvon Thibodeau available? If not, maybe pass rusher uh, Jermaine Johnson. And also Drake London or Garrett Wilson. Probably the top two wide receivers in this draft class. But ultimately, that's kind of how I see the Jets playing out as of now. So the Giants picks five and seven. So another another double dipper here. There's a lot... um, of similar needs to the Jets. So a very similar evaluation. Offensive line, the Giants want to give Daniel Jones one more kind of prove-it season with a healthier supporting cast. The Giants have been just riddled, just totally plagued by injuries in the last like two years. And and to help Daniel Jones, I think it starts up front. Last season, the Giants offensive line, they only made 58 out of possible 85 uh, starts from their starters. That's tied 25th in the league. Uh, Billy Price, their center, Right guard, Will Hernandez. Right tackle, Nate Salter. All free agents. Another center on their roster, uh, Nick Gates. He's a free agent in 2023. The team did add John Feliciano to play center. And right guard, Mark Glowinski from the Colts uh, to replace Hernandez at right guard. Uh, So these are definitely improvements. uh, But left guard could definitely be improved. Matt Skier is, I think, the starter right now. Uh, We'll see. It's probably going to be an open competition. Uh, will Matt Pert start at right tackle? I doubt it. I think they like him more as a reliable swing tackle. So if that's the case, then right tackle and left guard are needed on the offensive line. So that makes Evan Neal, that makes Icky, 
Definite options for New York at five. That's what I'm leaning towards right now. You'll see in my mock, if you're following along, uh, I have them taking Akeem Ikwanu, the AKA Icky. Uh, there's also some gamesmanship going on here with Carolina because they're kind of sandwiched in between the Giants picks five and seven. Carolina definitely needs an offensive tackle badly too. So depends on where New York really has Charles Cross or Trevor Penning on their board, like consensus tackles three and four in this class. Like, are they willing to let Carolina take Evan Neal or Icky, the last of those players available, and then take, um, you know, option B, maybe Charles Cross, for example. I can't say his name fast, but uh, available at pick seven. The Giants, they sent a lot of team officials to Ole Miss Pro Day reportedly to see Cross. They're very interested in him. I think it's under the situation maybe if the Jets take an offensive tackle at four and the Texans take an offensive tackle at three, then the Giants, they need to know, they need to do their homework on Charles Cross. So, But to me, I do think the Giants would prefer to take an offensive tackle at pick five, which is I have them getting that luxury of of picking between Actually, they don't get to pick between them of Akeem Ikwanu, a.k.a. Ike, falling to them at pick five because the Texans take Evan Neal. But things can change. Cornerback, just like the Jets, another massive need. They plan to move on from James Bradbury this offseason. He's going to be traded. And even if he's not, he's entering the final year of his contract and they have a hole at corner. So Sauce Gardner on the night of his pro day. The Giants were there. He had appetizers with the Saints, and he had the main course with the Giants. That was reported. So the Giants, I think they're interested in Sauce Gardner. And this doesn't mean every team that meets with a player is interested in that player. No. We'll talk about more of that later on as the process um, more reveals itself and more of these rumors come about. But it's certainly not indication. But the Giants, they have a need at corner, and I'm sure they're doing their homework on Sauce Gardner. Defensive end, they definitely need another pass rusher uh, behind opposite a building block Aziz Olajari. Uh, Jowd Ward was signed, but that's more of a depth piece. Uh, according to Fox Sports, Colin Coward this is one of the big rumors, early rumors in the draft process that Oregon edge rusher uh, Kayvon Thibodeau believes that the Giants, after meeting with him, will draft him with one of their two top 10 picks. Again, that's pick five and seven. So Kayvon Thibodeau, Definitely a, uh, a position, a team need and prospect fit there at either five or seven. But again, I'm kind of leaning toward them going with offensive line first. And if Kayvon Thibodeau is there at pick seven, yes, I do think the Giants would take him at pick seven. Again, there's some character concerns being floated around with Thibodeau. His interviews have not been good, according to uh, the sources that I'm reading. So he may slide a little in the draft, but as of now, he is still expected to be a top 10 pick. Linebacker, that was a huge problem area. The Giants probably had the worst linebacker play in the league last year. Uh, Part of that was because Blake Martinez, he only played three games. He's a free agent in 2023. He's coming off a major knee injury. Um, They started... Uh, actually, starting linebacker Reggie Ragland is a free agent as well. I mean, this is just a terrible linebacking core. It would normally speak to a team that could maybe take linebacker, although it's a position that's devalued in the NFL. Traditional linebacker is, but I think seven and five certainly are too high. The top available linebacker is Devin Lloyd. I think he's going to be going closer to the 20s than that. Uh, safety, the Giants have hosted a private meeting with Notre Dame safety Kyle Hamilton. I mentioned his name. Um, he's kind of... Uh, one of these unicorn talents. He's got really special traits. He's definitely in play for the Giants. Reportedly, it, it picks seven. 
Uh, they definitely need the safety, so it matches a team need perspective. Xavier McKinney is the safety they have there, but they lost Jabril Peppers and Logan Ryan in free agency. So Kyle Hamilton does make sense, but I think Hamilton slides a little further further, excuse me, than the Giants. So ultimately, again, for the uh, for the Giants, because they have picked seven uh, and pick five, I think the Giants probably would take Sauce Gardner at pick five if, if the Jets pass on him. If not, I could see them taking Evan Neal or Iki Ikwanwu at, at offensive tackle if either of them if fall there. And I do think that they like Charles Cross a lot if they want to take him at pick seven, if they miss out on offensive tackle, like if they go Gardner at pick five. Uh, I think they prefer to take Charles Cross at pick seven and hoping that maybe the Panthers, who I'll talk about next, will take a quarterback at six because, uh, again, they're in between them. Uh, and But I think that Kayvon Thibodeau also could be the apple of their eye at pick seven, hoping that he slides. So Carolina at six. They have a desperate need for a quarterback. Will Carolina go with a veteran quarterback? Like, there's only really two left, right? Like, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo is there. Uh, Baker Mayfield, do they want to send over a set next year's second round pick for one of those guys to kind of see if they can you know, arouse good quarterback play out of them? I'm not really sure. The Panther, what I am sure about is the Panthers are desperate for quarterback play. So we may see a reach here. This may be, this is kind of a potential spot for the first quarterback uh, to land in this draft class. They reached out to Minnesota earlier this offseason to check on the status of Kirk Cousins, Carolina did. They were in the Matthew Stafford sweepstakes last year, uh, last offseason, trying to recruit him. They also tried to recruit Deshaun Watson, like over the last year or so. They've been really putting a lot of, they hired a personal investigator reportedly to go watch or legal, special legal people to go legal people, lawyers. I am one. Probably should know that. But they hired lawyers to go kind of do deep investigative dive into Deshaun Watson's legal status, etc. So they were interested in Deshaun Watson for sure. He was too expensive, but they, but I think they wanted a veteran quarterback because I think that they believe that they can win now, especially in a kind of weak NFC South other than the Bucks. But, you know, going along those lines or being consistent with that thought process, they bypassed Justin Fields and Mac Jones in the draft last year at pick eight. So I think that they wanted a veteran quarterback, but at this point, you know, only Garoppolo and Mayfield are really available. I mean, they even Carson Wentz and Matt Ryan are gone. So I don't know. At this point, you might get a, a really... David Tepper, the owner of the Panthers, he's already aggressive nature. He wants to win badly. He's not one of those one of those owners who's just kind of funding the team. I mean, this guy really, really wants to win. So you're already getting an owner who may be pushing the pedal to the metal here. And at, at owners' meetings, the general manager, Scott Fitterer, he said, you know, this is going to be interesting because the tackles will be the best players on the board, but we do need a quarterback. And at some point, you have to take a shot, especially in the top 10. You hate to force it, but because when you force it, you could make a mistake, you know, end quote. I mean, that actually, you don't, you rarely get such a candid response from a general manager as it pertains to the draft. Normally, they try to be, you know, all secretive and sketchy about it. But that actually kind of describes the situation well. The Panthers have been trying to fix the offensive line all offseason. You know, right guard John Miller and Trent Scott, they were free agents. A team, they signed right guard Arson Corbett. Uh, Matt Paradis, uh, Matt Parody, the the center, he was released and they replaced him with Bradley, Bradley Bozeman out of Baltimore, but that's only a one-year deal. Uh, offensive tackle Cam Irvin, left guard Michael Jordan, they are free agent. Yes, Michael Jordan, they are free agents in 2023. 
And depending on where how the team views last year's second round of Brady Christensen, whether he's a left tackle or a left guard, the team could use an upgrade, uh, especially if they move Christensen inside a left guard. You know, that's going to leave left tackle really wide open. In fact, Daniel Jeremiah said on the Rich Eisen show that he's heard the Panthers are dead set on drafting an offensive lineman at six, even if it's a reach. And that screams to me Charles Cross. That screams to me that even if the top two players aren't available, Evan Neal and Icky, if they're not there, then that screams that the Panthers are going to reach for Charles Cross. That's what that says to me, that quote, because Jeremiah is pretty plugged in. But let's say the first two offensive tackles aren't there. And there's a little drop-off to Charles Cross. Maybe they they force a quarterback there. David Tepper, the, the if they did force a quarterback, it'd probably be Malik Willis or Kenny Pickett. And Kenny Pickett, mm, you know, a lot of teams are down on him. A lot of scouts are down on him. He's probably the most pro-ready quarterback, and that might help the Panthers kind of justify the pick internally uh, because they feel that they can win now, whereas Malik Willis and... Desmond Ritter and Matt Corral, they're seen as more of projects, I guess. You may have to sit in year one and learn the nuances of the game. Whereas Kenny Pickett, you know, started like 40 games in college. He might be ready uh, to, you know, throw in the wolves. He might already be better than Sam Darnold, they feel. So maybe they are aggressive in taking Kenny Pickett. Other connections to Pickett include that Pickett was once committed to play for Matt Rule, which is the head coach of the Panthers at Temple when he was there. Um, and he actually committed to play for Temple, but then what happened was Matt Rule ended up taking a job at Baylor. So Pickett said, well, you know, screw you guys, I'm out too. So Pickett and Matt Rule definitely have a little connection there, or they used to at least. And then the Carolina Panthers, you know, they were the, the hands down the most represented team at Pitt quarterback Kenny Pickett's pro day. And David Tepper, the owner, the aggressive owner that I talked about, he went to Pitt. So there are... Dots to connect there. There are connections there. So as of now, those are the reasons. Because the Panthers are desperate for quarterback, and I think they're going to reach for one, because Akeem Ekwanu and Evan Neal might be gone, and there's a little drop-off after offensive tackle there, and because there's connections to Kenny Pickett, I think that the Panthers could reach for Pickett, and he could be the first quarterback taken in the draft. Would it be a good pick? Would it be a smart pick? Would it would it maximize value? No, probably not. Some teams would probably laugh at it. Some teams might have a fourth round grade on Pickett, like I mentioned. But none of that really matters because it only takes one team and the Panthers could be that desperate team. They have other needs, you know, defensive end, cornerback. Uh, they drafted a corner last year, though. I think Sauce Gardner maybe is a kind of a sleeper for the pick. Maybe Kayvon Thibodeau. But I, I don't know. Right now, I don't really see it. Right now, I think it's offensive tackle or quarterback for the Carolina Panthers. Keep in mind that the Carolina Panthers do not have a pick in the second round, and they do not have a pick in the third round. So whatever they draft, it needs. It can't just be a position they kind of need. It needs to fill a massive void now. And I think offensive line, offensive tackle, or quarterback would do that. So to me, even though you could make an argument that the Panthers need a corner or need a defensive end, to me, it's about Evan Neal. It's about Iki Ikwanwu, the two offensive tackles, and it's about you know which quarterback do they like most in this class. Maybe Malik Willis, maybe Kenny Pickett. Maybe they love Charles Cross, offensive tackle. So that's kind of where the Panthers are at. Atlanta Falcons, remember we're jumping to pick eight here because the Giants pick seven. Atlanta Falcons, they pick eight. Quarterback, a big need. Atlanta, they couldn't close on adding Deshaun Watson. Matt Ryan was traded to Indy. Atlanta is not in a position to win now, though, unlike Carolina. So there's really no need to make a splash for a veteran quarterback. Like, what would signing Jimmy Garoppolo or 
Baker Mayfield, trading for Mayfield, what would that do for Atlanta? Really nothing. They'd still go nowhere. Marcus Mariota was signed, and he's going to be a nice bridge gap, like slash mentor for a young quarterback on a rebuilding team. I do think Marcus Mariota starts on day one, no matter who the Panthers draft, if they draft the quarterback or not. But I think Marcus Mariota, kind of a running quarterback, maybe a little stylistically like Malik Willis. Willis grew up near Atlanta's old stadium. I I like the fit here from a team need standpoint. I think that Marcus Mariota, he plays in year one. And then in year two, the Falcons, they get Calvin Ridley back and they'll have Kyle Pitts. They'll have Cordell Patterson. And then you can throw in Malik Malik Willis in there after being groomed by Marcus Mariota for starting a year. I think that that makes a lot of sense. The Falcons need somebody for the future. Speaking of Ridley, they also need a wide receiver. Ridley suspended for the 2022 season. They may want a change of scenery going forward. I think he only has one year left on his contract after that. Russell Gage, free agent. He signed with Tampa. So, you know, wide receiver, massive need for the Atlanta Falcons. They will be drafting wide receivers. Now, whether they reach for one and are the first team to take a wide receiver in round one, you know, that remains to be seen. But if they do, probably Drake London, maybe Garrett Wilson uh, out of Ohio State. Offensive line was awful to begin the season. Uh, and this is despite them being very, very healthy last year. The offensive, the five starters for the offensive line for the Falcons made a possible 83 of 85 possible starts. They could use an upgrade at left guard and right tackle. And then all aerials on defense need attention. Defensive line, the Stephen Means, Dante Fowler, Brandon Copeland, all free agents, leaving that position fairly vacant. They did sign Lorenzo Carter, but that was only a one-year contract. Grady Jarrett, their stud defensive tackle for you know so long, he's entering the final year of his contract as well. The Falcons don't have good quality defensive tackles otherwise. So at defensive end, Kayvon Thibodeau, you could get a hard look here. Jermaine Johnson, Florida State pass rusher I mentioned. So we could see, again, the wide receivers, Drake London and Garrett Wilson. But right now, I have this as being the landing spot for Malik Willis. And that may surprise a lot of folks, but that's just kind of how I see it. I think it's a really, really good match. And I do think Willis will, or Pickett, or both, will end up in the top 10 because of these teams that are desperate to find a franchise quarterback. And I think Atlanta is one of those teams. So last pick of the day, and that is Seattle. We're not going, they have picked nine. We're not going to pick 10 because the Jets have that. We already talked about them. And Seattle's really kind of a wild card uh, after the Russ Wilson trade, right? Like, are they tanking? I don't know. I seem to believe that they are. Uh, As competitive as Pete Carroll is, he has job security, so he can afford a little bit of a rebuild. And I don't know. I just don't think that they really genuinely believe they're a quarterback away from like making the playoffs. The NFC West, very, very tough division right now. And I think part of that kind of went into the Russell Wilson trade. I don't think this team has the offensive line to compete. I don't think they have the defense to compete. And part of the reason I I do think that they're leaning towards tanking instead of competing this year is because aside from all that that I just said, there are reports by multiple sources that DK Metcalf is being dangled as trade bait because that's like their best asset basically. So that kind of screams to me that they probably are tanking. So are they going to be one of those teams that want to draft a quarterback and start over with their quarterback? Are they going to want to build around a quarterback and take a quarterback next year? The buzz out of Indianapolis was that Seattle loved Malik Willis. Was Malik Willis, was he one of the reasons that Seattle traded Russ Wilson and got pick nine in exchange? Maybe. Could Seattle, who's totally rebuilding, want to trade down and acquire more picks and maybe take a quarterback like Desmond Ritter or Matt Corral maybe late in round one? Yeah, I could see that. I could see that too. But if no quarterback, you know, in here and in my mock right now, Malik Willis or Kenny Pickett don't even make it to them. 
but one of them might be there. But let's say they don't take a quarterback. If they don't, you know, you have to look at the offensive line because it's just a total mess. It's it's probably um, the worst unit on paper in the entire NFL. And good for them, four offensive tackles could go in the top 10. Very top-heavy offensive tackle class. Left tackle Dwayne Brown for Seattle and right tackle Brandon Shell are free agents. They've not been re-signed by Seattle. Center Kyle Fuller, he was re-signed, but he just wasn't very good. And his backup, Ethan Pocock, he is a free agent. He just signed with the Browns. So there are major question marks at left tackle, center, and right tackle. So I'm assuming that Icky and Evan Neal are gone. So now we're talking about Charles Cross, and we're talking about Trevor Penning. And why do this is the first time I mentioned Penning's name. Why now? Well, I think Seattle would actually take a liking to Penning, the better run blocker between he and Cross. And Penning kind of has that classic mean mauler reputation. And I think Seattle's made it very clear that that's kind of what they want. They want to establish the run. They like his style and aggression. I could really see Penning being the pick here, whether Cross is on the board or not, even though others will consider it a reach. Because Penning currently being mocked around the Chargers at like pick 17. Uh, but I think he's going to rise in mock drafts as we start to gain more intel into what NFL teams think about him. And it's similar to the way I think that quarterbacks are going to rise in a lot of expert mocks as well. Because a lot of expert mocks, some don't even have quarterback a quarterback going in the first round. I think that's nonsense. Um, even if that might be how they grade on teams' draft boards, that that's different than whether a team will draft one in round one. I, I personally think at least one will go in the top 10, whether it's smart or not just because of the desperation and the importance of the position, like I mentioned. So I think quarterbacks are going to be, you know, Malik Willis, maybe Kenny Pickett. You'll start to see them slide up boards as teams kind of justify having them as the top quarterback in class. And I think uh, a couple of players will as well. And I think Trevor Penning's probably one of those because the big thing about Penning is not that just he's a mean run blocker, like I said, it's because there's a kind of a drop-off after the top four offensive tackles in the class. And usually what happens when a drop-off at a premier position like that, like I mentioned with the top three corners, is it pushes the uh, th- that position up. So the top three corners will probably be taken in the top 15 and the top four offensive tackles also probably in the top 15. So other needs for Seattle, defensive line, you know, linebacker, Bobby Wagner replacement. The team likes Jordan Brooks, but who else is there? I think Devin Lloyd, you know, probably, you know, the best linebacker in the class, but, you know, nine is a little bit too much of a reach for him, in my opinion. Uh, although my opinion is irrelevant, but when I say my opinion, I mean in probably the team's opinion. Uh, defensive line, they added some players, they lost some players in free agency. It's kind of been, you know, a flux of new talent. Uh, they also have defensive tackles, LJ Collier and Puna Ford. De- hitting free agency in 2023, but there's been a lot of transition on the defensive line this offseason. But Pete Carroll, he likes to take chances on players with difficult personalities, and that's kind of what we're hearing out of Kayvon Thibodeau. So his slide could end at pick nine with Seattle, and they could feel they're acquiring you know, a top three talent in the draft who fell because of character concerns, and Pete Carroll might be confident enough to to work some of that out and make and maximize his talent as a player. And then, you know, obviously get a great defensive end at a big position of need in the process. Uh, If not, Jermaine Johnson, or if uh, Thibodeau is taken by the Giants like I expect right now, then maybe Jermaine Johnson uh, out of FSU could be a possible pick for Seattle. That makes a lot of sense. Defensive back, you know, there's one corner I could see them drafting here, and that's Sauce Gardner. I think he really fits the mold 
the scheme fit, really, with what Seattle has drafted in the past. They like height. They like length. Those are traits that Seattle's picked in the past, and I think that Sauce Gardner fits that mold more than Derek Stingley does, uh, although Stingley kind of fits that you know great talent, potential character issues, or risky pick uh, mold that I just mentioned with Thibodeau as well. So Stingley's in play. Sauce Gardner's in play. I also think uh, Kyle Hamilton, the safety, he is also in play. And I want to mention him for Atlanta as well at pick eight. So so yeah, Seattle can go. They're kind of an enigma. They can go in a bunch of different directions. Uh, I think Malik Willis could be taken here if he's available. But I think O-line is the biggest need and the biggest issue on this team. And I think that they're going to love pinning over cross. And I'm assuming Icky and Evan Brown are off the board. And defensively, Kyle Hamilton, the safety. Sauce Gardner, if he makes it here. Derek Stingley could be the pick. Uh, Kayvon Thibodeau is probably their preferred pick if any of those defenders make it. Jermaine Johnson and other pass rushers are there. And that's kind of the top 10 as I see it shaking out as of now. Now, things change all the time. But I will keep you updated uh, on those changes. And that, my friends, is the top 10. And that will also conclude today's episode. Next episode, we'll carry on breaking down the team needs and possible targets for teams picking 11 through 32, the rest of the first round. If you enjoyed today's show, please do me a solid. Hit the subscribe button and give a positive rating or review. I really appreciate that. Again, my mock draft is on fantasylawguide.com. You can go check it out. Thank you so much for listening, everyone.